My name is Alex, and I'm your student pastor. And I just want to thank you for the opportunity to get to partner with you. And thank you. And raising the next generation of world changers alongside you these last three years. And uh, I also want to thank Wade for giving me the opportunity to provide him with a week of rest from leading our team in our church. Um, it's been incredible to um, be a part of the story that God's been writing on this church over these last three or four years, and uh, even especially this last year, which I know was incredibly hard for many of us. However, there was also a lot of times of celebration, was there not? In student ministry specifically, we've seen our attendance numbers recover in quite some way. We've seen um, a significant increase in consistency of students coming and bringing us stories of life change, which is awesome, which has led to well over a dozen baptisms this last year. Amen. Including, including students baptizing other students that they brought to Christ. Amen. Um, beyond that, we've seen some adult volunteers jump in and really own the mission with us. They've committed to loving and serving these students, and they've committed to being in community with one another, which just lights my fire. It gets me excited. Um, we, in student ministry, we start on Wednesday nights by just stating our goals. What is our goal as a ministry? And for us, we say that it's that we love you, that we equip you, and that we send you out to Nolensville and the nation to live out the story of Jesus Christ. Now, fear is going to be a part of that story because fear is going to hold us back in some way from accomplishing those goals, is it not? One of those goals has your name on it because you're afraid of it. Is it to be, is it to be loved? Because it might require you to be known. Is it to be equipped to live in a different lifestyle that reflects Jesus Christ? It might mean putting to bed some of your aspirations for yourself or aspirations someone else has given you. Or maybe it's to take social risks, to go out and proclaim the gospel message in a way that seems risky or scary. Or maybe you're like me and it's all three of those. But let's level set. If I didn't get you in one of those three buckets, maybe I'll get you in one of these two. These are the two most popular fears amongst the whole population. Okay, let's put them up there. What do we think number two is out of those? Close. No, not snakes. Snakes will lead to it. What do we think number two is? Death. What? Death's in the number two. Duh, but it's not number one. Y'all already said number one. What is it? Thank you. Thank you for speaking in public. It is public speaking. And I can relate to that because every time I get up here, my heart patters and my bones shake. Um, it is, and don't even get me started about getting in front of a camera because quarantine teaching was a growth edge for me. Um, it, but it got to the point where my fear of others not knowing that they were loved by God started to overcome my fear of my own embarrassment and rejection. Can I get an Amen. Now, to some extent, maybe you have been there with me and you faced your number one fear. I'm doing it right now. Um, maybe you've been with, the, with me there and you faced your number one fear at some point in your life. I wonder if some of us can face our number one fear because we've faced the number two fear a time or two. Many of us make it into adulthood with some trigger that reminds us of a time that we stared death in the face. Maybe for you it's the sound of screeching tires. Maybe it's turbulence on an airplane. Maybe it's a view from a high place. For me, it's the sound of a tornado siren. Ooh. 
That trigger for me started 10 years and one month ago to the day, April 27, 2011, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I was attending the university there, going to classes. It was a gorgeous day. And in spite of that, what would happen was fearful. It was the largest outbreak of tornadic activity in United States history would happen later that day. 360 tornadoes screamed across the southeast in less than 24 hours. Some of you might remember what I'm talking about. 216 of those tornadoes actually touched down, and it led to almost 4,000 injuries and unfortunately 348 lives lost. It's on record as the most expensive day of damages from storms in United States history, 10.2 billion with a B dollars. Like I said, I was attending classes that morning. It was a gorgeous day. I wasn't even dealing with the allergies that I'm used to dealing with at that time. Maybe you're there with me this morning. It changed our day. Me and my roommate had to rush home and we lived on the bottom floor of our dorm. And actually half of our dorm was underground. And so we found ourselves inviting a bunch of people over to cram into the smallest room that we had that had no windows. And we just crammed every couch cushion and chair that we could. And we huddled around one cell phone and we watched the news broadcast together. And on that broadcast, maybe you've watched it, maybe you've seen it since then. The F5, one and a half mile wide tornado touched down less than one mile from the building that we were hunkered in. And that tornado went right by the broadcast studio. And you may remember, if you've seen that video, the news reporter loses their ever-loving mind on live television. And then the power went out. Have you ever had silence just forced on you? It's really unnerving, isn't it? The, the siren stopped. I noticed that the birds stopped chirping. That's creepy. All I could hear was the shaky breaths of the people in the room with me. The last text that I got out was, before my phone stopped working was to my mom, and I just said, please pray. And that emotion, that fear of something so big that you can't control coming for you, that's where we find the disciples this morning, the followers of Jesus, hunkered in a room in the dark, alone, fearing for their lives. And so join me in John 20, verses 19 to 23, and we're going to figure out what's going on. As you're turning there, let me pray for us. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day and the opportunity we have to come and worship freely. I just pray that you will go before us in this text and that you'd make a way. Pray that you will have blessed my preparation and prepared our hearts to receive your word. It's in your name that we pray and that we live. Amen. Verse 19, when it was evening of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said, peace be to you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw it was their Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. All right, let's recap. What's going on? This takes place on Easter night. 
Jesus rose from his grave that very morning, defeating sin and death. And like a dog that doesn't quite realize what's happened for a moment when you take its leash off, the church hasn't figured out what's happened and what it means. And so we find the disciples hunkered down in the upper room of this home in the dark, fearing for the very thing that Jesus has defeated that morning, life, death, and sin. And so their focus is frozen on this fear. Their feet are frozen by their focus. And so let's, let's put ourselves there. Let's relate. What are you afraid of? What has you focused until it freezes your feet? What rattles around in your mind all day long, consuming your focus of your thoughts? Can you honestly, answer me this, can you honestly in your own power change the source of that fear? The chances are probably not. The Bible, when it uses the word fear, this is what it's talking about. It's the focus on something that is bigger than you are. It's out of your control. And the Bible says that fear is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? It means that that thing that you focus on like that is going to become a lens that determines the way that you understand yourself and the world around you. It penetrates and it becomes a part of your senses. I talk to men and women all the time in counseling and they talk about their fears as if it's a part of them and this is why. What you focus on is going to determine what you fear is going to determine how you view yourself and the world around you. Remember my fear of public speaking? We're back. This started in my first days walking with Jesus. It's actually a fear of having something to say and then being rejected for it anyway. And it started in a high school cafeteria a long time ago. Um, I was walking on my way to the cafeteria uh, I've gone through two-thirds of my day of schooling. My stomach was turning like a garbage disposal. I was so hungry. I was a growing boy, right? Some of you have those at home eating you out of house. Um, and I see this kid. He's leaned up against the wall right there. I can see him as clear as day. And you ever see someone, you just know that they're going through something? They're going through it. This kid was going through it. And it was the first time that my stomach was now having to compete with my heart compressing in my chest like a trash compactor, and it was God telling me, this is what I want you to do. And so I did what every aspiring minister of the gospel, empowered in his steps to walk in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit would do. I walked right past him, and I got my food, and I sat down with my friends. I was so scared that I didn't know what to say. Let's be honest, I was really hungry and selfish. And I didn't want to have to explain to my friends why I sat with this sketchy kid instead of them. That's just more work. But God is writing this contrary story of love and redemption in our world. And he's writing it on your life and mine. And that story says that you have nothing to fear in Christ but instead you have an identity as a son or a daughter of the living God to assume for yourself and to invite others into. God calls us to fear not over a hundred times in his word. So don't you know, don't you know that he designs and expects us to experience ah, fear? But what's at stake here this morning is that if we live in fear of anything other than God's love, it will spoil the story that God's writing on our lives and it will sideline us from the purposes he's preparing us for. 
Because playing our part in this grand mission of making disciples, followers of Jesus, is something that he's called each and every one of us to. Every one of us. And if God promises to be with us in this word, then it's only by our misplaced fears that we can miss out on what he's preparing us for. And if you have experienced missing out on reflecting Jesus out of fear before, let me promise you it won't be your last. Let me also promise you that you weren't the first. Because we find the first right here in this text. The guys who walked alongside Jesus as he witnessed to thousands of people about his gospel, his grace, and his goodness. The guys that walked right beside him as he healed the blind and the lame. He cleansed the sin of the leper in front of these guys. And then he sent them out and empowered them to cast out demons for themselves in his name. These guys had some of the best spiritual resumes in the history of the world. And these are the guys that we find cowering for their lives in the upper room of this house. And so God meets us in the same place that Jesus meets these guys. Alone and afraid in our sin, wondering how in the world am I going to get out of this? Just like a character in a scary movie, we run upstairs and we hide. Like, where do you think you're going to go from there? You ain't jumping out a window. Your upstairs is going to look different than the person next to you, that place that you go and hide. Maybe it's a physical isolation where you distance yourself from anything that you find scary. Maybe quarantine was a bit of a vacation for you. Your secret's safe. Maybe it's an emotional upstairs where you're present with the people around you, but you've crafted a perfect mask or walls that you've put up in place to secure and hide your deepest insecurities and vulnerabilities. I'm going to warn you, that's going to keep you from being fully loved through those things. Maybe, just maybe you have a mental isolation. You look at the world around you and the circumstances you find yourself in and you run the hamster wheel in your mind trying to figure your own way out. How are you sleeping? All of y'all, are you lonely? If you're lonely in that and it doesn't compel you to be in community with God and his people, let me encourage you right now that that is where you can experience the personal hand of God moving through his people to comfort and encourage you. This place of isolation, it's exactly where Satan wants you. I'm going to say his name in church. I'm going to bring him up the enemy. He's that little voice in your head that's speaking lies about your value and your worth to God. And he does it when you're alone because he wants to pick you off and not be held accountable for it. In this word, we see Jesus Christ, the son of God, going into the desert to pray and fast with his father and Satan meets him there. He's got some guts He tempts Jesus in his identity and his power and his mission. And don't you know these disciples cut off from their source of identity, power, and mission, Jesus Christ, are losing hope. How long did it take you to lose hope in the last storm you were in? Stuck in your isolated quarantine routines. Did it not compel you to get into community? Because all this speaks to the greatest need that you and I have is to be loved by someone or something greater than ourselves. The idea of God's peace, the word here, shalom, perfection, completion, rest. 
That doesn't even sound like the English language when we're stuck alone in our doubts. In our journey deeper and deeper into isolation in those storms, it just proves that you and I are not equipped to find hope and purpose for ourselves. But instead, God has loved you on purpose for a purpose. And it's only the fear and the temporary things of this world that are going to sideline you from experiencing that. Because the story, the peace that God is going to write on your life is not something that you can find crawling around in the darkest corners of your mind. It's only something that you're going to find specifically and personally through the person of Jesus Christ. Who he sent personally here to the disciples, meeting them alone in the dark, like you and me, to personally comfort and commission them. To take them from cowering to called from weak to witnesses of his goodness. And then he provides his power and his presence to them in the form of the Holy Spirit to equip them to do what, church? What's it say? To bring peace by forgiving those that they feared the most. Because experiencing the peace of Christ personally prepares you to provide the peace of Christ publicly. Let's sit in that for a second. Experiencing the peace of Christ personally prepares you to provide the peace of Christ publicly. And the only thing scarier than not knowing what God is going to do in your life is knowing that he's preparing you for something that scares you to death. And that's what brings me back to my story on April 27, 2011. Let's repaint the picture. News reporter freaks out, power goes out. Help me, mommy. After a few minutes of just silently waiting, we sat in this awkward tension of feeling like if it was going to happen, it would have happened. But we still sat there in silence. I think we were afraid to find out what might have actually happened outside of the walls of our safety. Um, We're just sitting there, and we hear this big knock at the door. And the big knock was followed by a big person. We open the door, and there's like an SEC lineman large dude there. And I'm disoriented in all kinds of ways. And I don't remember his name, but I do remember his message like the back of my hand. The firefighters and the EMTs are looking for anybody who knows CPR or first aid trauma training. And they want you to build a team to go out into the destruction and look for people. I gotta go. The only silence that I remember more than the birds not chirping was the one or two seconds that it took me to decide if I was gonna confess. Confess to being prepared for that moment. There was one guy in the room that knew that I had trained to be a lifeguard the summer before and that I had learned all that stuff. But I could have had a really easy night. I could have hung out with my friends and just been thankful to be okay and our biggest problem on our plate would have been figuring out dinner without electricity. But instead, we got in a truck with a guy we met that morning, and we went out, and we had a very long night. Most of us actually stayed in Tuscaloosa um, for another three weeks, long after they had sent the students home. They gave us all A's and sent us home. And, uh, but um, we stuck around. And, you know, in all of that, I feel like the there was a lot of people saved, physically saved in that moment, but I actually believe that our church 
was saved. Because Calvary Baptist in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, in the shadow of the stadium, you'll see it when you go visit sometime, um, it saved us from a country club Christianity. It saved us from focusing on ourselves to the point where we just cared about our preferences more than the power of the gospel. And instead, it lifted our eyes to see a community that was hurting and broken around us. And so for the next several weeks and months and even years, we provided thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in food and water and personal hygiene needs. We actually got to replace 150 homes and furniture for those families who lost them in the storm. The University of Alabama eventually started calling us when their students were in need. They called us. And in all that effort, it was still that first night that I remember the most vividly as being the longest. But besides the obvious, besides the obvious, I can only think of one way that it could have been worse. If we had stayed in that room and let the mission pass us by. I dread the idea that there's someone out there who had been prepared to be a vessel of hope and chose not to provide it the regret and the dread they might feel even to this day. And it's the best metaphor that I have in my imagination for what it might have been like to have been a disciple who walked right alongside Jesus and knew his grace and his power and his peace and chose to walk away when things got hard. The church at Nolansville is relatively young, are we not? Three, four years old. But we've been through some storms. We've moved, I don't know how many times, We've seen a a large influx of people with unique needs. We've been through a pandemic together. We've buried children together. And there's a lot of us in here that are going through storms and we're the only ones hearing the sirens. And that scares us to death. And on behalf of Jesus and echoing his word, peace be with you. Please allow him to comfort you towards your calling to bring the peace of Christ to others. May God make good in your life from what the the enemy intended for evil. In your weakness, may you witness his peace and bring it with you wherever you go. Because experiencing the peace of Christ personally prepares you to provide the peace of Christ publicly. And church, fear and isolation can lead us to a place where the storms rage in this community and we sit by and watch. But that won't be us, will it? I look out and I see survivors and saints. I see warriors of peace. I see messengers of our Lord's mastery over storm and salvation. And if your storm hasn't passed right now, at 10.02 a.m. on uh, Sunday and the weekend of Memorial Day, your temptation might be to walk out those doors or X out of that webpage and be encouraged by a word or two of mine. And, And honestly, I'd be honored by that and it would be fine, even if that was the end of it. But I think sometimes we settle for fine out of fear. And what I wanna call you and encourage you to in your loneliness, in your fear, is to make yourself known. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up in here or anything. This isn't a I am Spartacus moment. I just, I wanna give you a few pathways to be known and loved. 
And the first is that connection card that's in the seat back in front of you. That's the most private way that you could probably do it. We'll reach out to you later on this week and we'll help you get connected with people that can sit across the kitchen table or the coffee table from you and extend the peace of Jesus personally. If you're a little bit more extroverted, not like myself, you can go to the backstage area. It's this room over your left shoulder where we'd like to know your name, shake your hand, and give you a gift. Um, And if you're at home, maybe you're traveling or whatever, if you're at the beach, I'm not jealous, you can email our administrative assistant at cyoung at churchandnolensville.com and we'll reach back out to you. But church, make no mistake, running into the storm as a wounded warrior is the great commission that Jesus has called us all onto. And if you have the desire to bring the peace of Christ to someone that you know and love, to your neighbor, and you don't know where to start, I'm gonna echo my previous encouragement. Get in a group. Because you can find people who wanna encourage you, who wanna partner in prayer with you for someone. And it's also where we can provide you with resources and training that we have to help you tell the story that Jesus is writing on your life. Because he's preparing you to tell a story. And he's going to wound deeply the people he wants to use greatly. And so we want to partner with you and help you be prepared to do that. Because church, the right time for me to have learned CPR was not during that storm. And so I want to encourage you to allow us to prepare you for what might scare you, but be completely worth it to someone else down the road. Whether it is someone in your family, whether it is someone you don't even like, maybe it's a middle schooler in student ministry. But for all of us in our times of crisis, we revert to our training and not our intentions. And so I'm going to ask you, have you trained your heart to walk in a spirit of fear or his peace. Let me call you to reflect on that through an exercise that we wrap up student ministry with on Wednesday nights. We take 120 seconds to pray to God together in silence, just listening to the music and listening to what he might have to say to you. And we just want to ask two questions. What are you here to hear this morning? What did you come here to hear? What does God want for you to hear this morning? That second question is, now what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And so one of the things that we do as we bow our heads in student ministry is we take a deep breath in and out because this might be the deepest and slowest and quietest breath that you get this week. So let's go ahead and join together by bowing our heads and taking a deep breath in. Fill your lungs. And out. Jesus, prepare our hearts for this moment. May we live differently in light of your grace and peace.